It's been a good day today already. Amen? Good morning. Lord, we ask now, as you have been with us already in our singing and in our fellowship with each other, Lord, that you would now speak to us through your word. Father, give us uh, clear minds, uh, give us open ears, give us uh, open and willing hearts to hear what you have to say to us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In the biblical story, the news about the birth of Jesus is accompanied with singing. Lots of singing. In the Gospel of Luke, Mary sings a song that Sandy just read for us. Zachariah sings a song. The angels sing a song. Simeon sings a song. The news of Jesus, the Savior, the Son of God in the flesh, the news of his coming makes people want to sing. And it has made people want to sing ever since. Christmas music is really important to us, isn't it? We have lots of opinions about when Christmas music should be played. In our home... In our home, we only play Christmas music after Thanksgiving. I know there are some of you barbarians who play before Thanksgiving. But in our home, we only play after Thanksgiving. And it's not because I don't like Christmas music, it's because I love it. And I don't want by December 25th to be tired of it. So we wait. Christmas is a season for singing. In the Gospel of Luke, when people find out about the good news of Jesus, the Messiah, they sing. So over the next few weeks, leading up to Christmas, we're going to look at these first Christmas songs and ask whether or not our own lives are in tune with the songs in the Gospel of Luke. These songs in the Gospel of Luke, the first Christmas songs, are songs that declare that God is at work in the world. And because of that, our lives need to be in line with him or in tune with him and his work. And this is really what the season of Advent, these four weeks that lead up to Christmas are all about, is reflecting on our lives and repenting and realigning our lives so that they line up are in tune with his work. And so today, we are going to look at the very first Christmas song. It's a song sung by Jesus' mother, Mary, before he was born. This is the song that we just heard Sandy read for us. Now, when you imagine Mary, the mother of Jesus, singing a song your mind probably immediately imagines something like a lullaby. When mamas sing songs to their babies, they usually sing quiet and gentle songs. Our musical imaginations about Christmas are filled with songs like Silent Night and O Little Town of Bethlehem and Away in a Manger. All of these sound like lullabies. So when we imagine Mary singing the first Christmas song, it's easy to imagine a lullaby. But the first Christmas song is not a lullaby. It's a song about a revolution. It's a war song. 
Mary's song speaks about God the Savior, a mighty warrior who will come and conquer his enemies. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel by remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. These aren't words that I ever remember reading on a Hallmark Christmas card. There's nothing quiet and gentle about this song. It's a song about a revolution that God is bringing into the world through Jesus. And the lyrics of Mary's song declare that the arrival of her son into the world will be the arrival of a revolution, a new way of being in the world. A revolution where the proud will be scattered by God's mighty arm. A a revolution where the powerful will be brought low, but the humble will be lifted up. A revolution where the hungry will be fed, but the rich will go away empty-handed. This is the song that Mary sings. But before getting into that song, I want to remind us of who Mary is and the circumstances of her life up to this point. Let's remember that Mary is probably a young teenager, 13, 14, 15 years old. And she's engaged to be married to a man named Joseph. But one day, Mary receives a message from an angel that she is going to give birth to a son. And after her surprise and her confusion at this, knowing that she's never been with a man, she surrenders. She surrenders to God's will in her life. And she says, let it be to me as the Lord has said. And then did you notice in verse 39, the first verse that Tim read for us, verse 39, at that time, after receiving this message from the angel, at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she came to the home of Zechariah and Elizabeth. She hurries to Auntie Elizabeth. Why does she hurry? Mary is in great distress. Her situation is dire. Being pregnant in her circumstances as a young teenager in any time, in any place, in any culture is an incredible, incredibly vulnerable and scary situation for a young woman to be in, and especially so in her culture. Certainly now Joseph would leave her. The Old Testament law, in fact, says that now Joseph would be within his rights to have her stoned to death. So she gets her stuff ready and she hurries to a safe place, to Auntie Elizabeth. This is a bit beside the overall point of this sermon here today, but I just want us to notice this part of this story. Mary hurries to the safe presence of her Aunt Elizabeth. Aunt Elizabeth is an old woman who is herself now, we find out, miraculously pregnant. We'll hear about her story in a couple weeks from now when we look at Zachariah's song. But here in this moment, we have these two women, one very young and scared, and one very old and wise and also probably also scared, 
share in this beautiful and incredibly special moment together as they come together and realize that God is at work in their life in a completely unique way. And in Elizabeth's presence, Mary experiences the kindness of God. In Elizabeth's presence, Mary experiences the kindness of God because Elizabeth believes her story. Elizabeth does not judge or condemn her. She believes her story and she celebrates God's work in her. Friends, one of the key qualities of our church that we have named over the last few years is the call for us as a church to be a healing community. And I think that there is a lot for us to learn here by paying attention to Elizabeth and how she cares for Mary, this hurting and scared young girl. How she invites her into her presence and creates a space for her to feel the love and the care and the kindness of God. And I am convinced that Mary could not have sung this song if it was not for Elizabeth's tender care and compassionate presence to her in this moment. It is, I suggest to you, Elizabeth's ministry to Mary in this moment, this relational connection between Elizabeth and Mary that made it possible for Mary to believe that what she heard from this angel was real and that God was moving right now in her life. And I'm not sure she would have been able to sing this song in the presence of anyone but her aunt Elizabeth. And at the end of this part of the story, Luke tells us that Mary stayed with Elizabeth for three months. For three months, Mary was cared for by aunt Elizabeth. So before diving into Mary's song, I just want to encourage each of us to be Elizabeth in this story for some person in your life right now? Is there someone in your life that needs to experience the kindness of God through you? There may be someone who has some incredible God song to sing, but they are too wounded or too scared or too exhausted to sing it. And they need the strength that comes from your care the healing from God that would come through your presence and your encouragement. Be Elizabeth to someone this holiday season. I just want to pray that for us right now. Lord, I pray that you would show us the people in our life, the men or the women, the children around us who need to experience your kindness through us. And I pray that you would reveal those people to us so that we may create a place where they can feel loved and cared for and safe with their story. And that you would use that in their life to bring about good things that they would know through that experience that you are at work in their life. I pray these things in Jesus name. Amen. All right, let's turn to Mary's song. There are three questions that I want us to look at today as we look at this song. The first, who is God for Mary? Who is God for us? What does Mary say God is doing in her song? And how do we respond to who God is and to what he is doing? Who is God in the 
Magnificat. This song is called the Magnificat. It begins with, my soul magnifies the Lord. And so in Latin, it's been called the Magnificat. In this song, she begins, my soul glorifies or magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, who? My Savior. Who is God in this song? God is Savior. And I want to ask you as we begin today, do you know that you need a Savior? Mary rejoices in God her Savior. That's who God is in this song, Savior. Mary, as a young Jewish girl, knew the promises that God made to her people. But in this historical moment that Mary is living in, it seemed as as if those promises were a very long way off. The Jewish people were in crisis. They knew the promises God made to them, that God would make them a great nation, that he would restore the kingdom of David, that God would Make them a blessing to the whole world. But at this point in history, it seems that none of those promises are anywhere close to being a reality because they are slaves in their own land, oppressed by the Roman Empire. And so when Mary sings this song, she is remembering the situation that her people are in. She is remembering that they are little more than slaves, despite the fact that God has promised to make them a great and powerful nation. Mary, as a good Jewish girl, is hoping for a Messiah, a Savior, who will come and free them from the rule of their oppressors, a Messiah who will bring them freedom. So when Mary sings this song, when she speaks of God who is bringing this revolution, I think she has, who are the proud and the powerful and the rich in her mind? I believe it's the Roman Empire that is over them at this time. And so like many other Jewish people at this time, she may have thought that God was about to send a conquering king, a general who would overthrow the Roman empires. But sometimes God works in ways that we would never expect. Mary was right. The arrival of Jesus, the son in her womb, was going to bring a revolution. But it wasn't the kind of revolution that she thought would happen or that anyone thought would happen. The son in her womb was going to come and to be a suffering servant. So what is God doing in this song? What kind of savior is he? Mary's song and the season of Advent and the Christmas story, the birth of Jesus, they're all reminders of a very important truth at the very heart of the gospel. That the Christian life, Christianity, is not about what we do. It's about what God is doing. The first Christian song, Mary's song, is a declaration of what God is doing in her life and in the life of the world. And I want to suggest to you that the mark of any truly good Christmas song that you hear this December is whether or not it tells you about those things, about God's work in our lives, and in the world that he made. In the Christmas story and throughout the the whole scriptures, we read about a God who is infinitely and intimately interested in you and in me in this world that he created. The whole Christmas story tells us that God is so infinitely and intimately interested in you and me in the world that he created that he took on flesh and became one of us. 
came near to us, that the creator became a part of his created world in order to save and to redeem it. And the way that he saves, according to Mary's story, is by extending mercy. God does not save through the violence of worldly kings and generals. He saves through his mercy. Twice in this song, Mary sings to God, her Savior, as a God of mercy. Verse 50, that his mercy extends to anyone who fears him. Verse 54, that he has, uh, he's remembered his servant Israel by remembering to be merciful to them. God is going to act as the Savior by extending mercy. Mercy is the characteristic of God where he shows love and forgiveness to us when love and forgiveness are not earned. Receiving mercy is receiving forgiveness when we do not deserve it. Receiving the love of God when we deserved the opposite. Aren't you glad that our God is not like Santa Claus? That he sees you when you're sleeping, he knows when you're awake, he knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. That's a bad Christmas song. It tells us that we get our gifts if we've been good. But our God is a God of mercy and we receive the gifts of our Savior because he is good, not because we are. Mary receives the news that the Son of God is now present and alive in her womb, and Mary receives news that God is now coming in the flesh as an act of mercy. He did not humble himself and become flesh because we deserved it. God did not humble himself, enter into our world, and become our servant because we deserved it. He did not become flesh and save us because we were nice rather than naughty. This is an act of God's mercy and kindness because he is good, not because we are. God is our savior and the way that he saves is through his mercy. Mercy. Mary says that he is going to perform mighty deeds with his arm. What merciful and mighty deed would this Savior do with his arms? That's the mighty arm of Jesus on the cross. It's mercy. So how do we respond to our Savior who extends us mercy? How do we respond? There are some very strong words of warning in this song about God's judgment and this revolution that he's bringing. I think the call that we hear in this story is a call to humility, to remember that we are poor and needy. If we're going to receive the mercy of God, we need to know that we need it. In Mary's song, who is it that receives God's judgment? It's the proud, it's the ruler's, and it's the rich, the proud, the rulers, the rich, the proud, the powerful, the rich. God's most clear and extreme judgments in Scripture, here in this song, in the words of the Old Testament prophets, in the book of Revelation, the proud and the powerful and the rich are those who receive the strongest words of warning about God's coming judgment. Why? It's not because the powerful and the rich are inherently worse than the poor or for those who don't have any power or authority. 
The words, the reason that God's words of judgment are so clear to these groups of people, because they are the people in the world who have the hardest time believing that they need God's mercy. Worldly power and wealth are very deceptive. They cause us to live under the illusion that we are good enough on our own, that we are self-sufficient, that we do not really need God. The proud and the rich and the powerful are always tempted to believe that they do not need God. That they are fine on their own strength with the work of their own mighty arms. And God is for looking for people who know their need People like Mary who are poor in spirit and who are ready to receive his mercy. The mighty hand of Jesus outstretched on the cross is the hand that brings salvation to everyone who recognizes their need for his mercy. That they are in need of God. Those who think that they don't need God will not be able to receive anything that he offers. So the tune... In our lives, the notes that we're playing in our lives that do not harmonize with Mary's song is the tune sung by the proud and the powerful and the rich who believe that they do not have any need for God. And so, how do we respond? We respond by searching our hearts and asking the Spirit to reveal in us pride. To ask the Spirit to reveal if there's any ways in our life where we feel like we have things pretty well managed, that we've got things pretty well figured out. We respond by searching our hearts and asking the Spirit to reveal the ways that we might use our own power or authority, whatever, however little or a lot that we have of authority of power, how are we using that for our own ends rather than in service to other people? We respond by searching our hearts and asking the Spirit to reveal to us the ways that we believe that our wealth or our money is what keeps us safe and secure. We are poor and needy. Every single one of us are in need of the mercy of God. So I just want to pause and to ask a couple questions for you today. The first is this. It's the one I asked you to consider earlier. To consider in your life if there's anyone in your life who needs to experience the comfort and the care and the kindness of God through you. That's question number one. A second question is this. In what ways do you believe through your own pride or through your own wealth or through your own authority that you have in your life that you are not in need then of the mercy of God. The ways that those things may blind you to your need for his mercy. So I'd like to ask for you to take a couple minutes to be quiet and to ask the Lord one of those two questions that he would want to speak to you about this morning. God in heaven, we ask that you would help us to be like Mary in this story who rejoices who delights in God, her Savior. Lord, show us those areas of our life where we may delight in or find comfort in or rest in our own self-sufficiency, our own ability. God, and show us our need for your mercy. Lord, we pray for any parts of our stubborn heart who would not want to surrender our will our self-sufficiency to you, Lord. I pray that you would humble us, 
and that, again, you would reveal to us our need for your mercy in our life. We ask that you would help us, like Mary, to delight in you, our Savior. Amen.